Uh, we have come to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has only 13 chapters, so this is the last chapter. Now, you might think that that means we're going to be done with Hebrews pretty soon, but I'm not sure about that because <laughs> we're, we're going to go slow. I know you're surprised by that. And today we're going to talk about three verses at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 13. Here's what they say. This is Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Now, that might sound like a bunch of disconnected commandments. And sometimes at the end of a book in the New Testament, you get this sort of thing where the writer will just say, and so, do this, do this, do that. And it seems a little disconnected. But I hope you will see today that it's not at all disconnected. That these things, and you know, the next thing is marriage is to be held in honor among all. That too. And uh, the thing, this, this thing, uh, make sure your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. These things are all connected. They're all connected. And they're all connected to the last thing we talked about in chapter 12. In fact, they're all only sort of concrete examples of the last thing we talked about in chapter 12. I don't know if you remember what that was. So I've put in your bulletin in the little sermon notes section, uh, what chapter 12 says. The first thing it says is, because uh, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, because we've received and are receiving the testimony of God about the righteousness of Christ applied to us and to all of them, those saints in chapter 11. Oh, so this goes back to chapter 11, which, by the way, goes back to chapter 10. It's a thing, you know. It's all one thing. And the whole thing is about the greatness of the privilege of being associated with Jesus Christ, of being in Christ, and therefore having access to God Almighty, as though He's your Father. And Jesus, we learned back in chapter 2, is not ashamed to call you brother, even though you've not earned that place. In fact, quite the opposite. So, at the beginning of chapter 12, we start with the let us. Let us, let us. What is the only reasonable response to this truth that God has granted to you the amazing privilege of being associated with Christ. 
being in the family of God, having access to the very throne of God at any moment for any reason. Well, he says, the first thing he says is, let us run with endurance. The race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Let us run the race of faith and keep on running it. You might remember we talked about, you know, just putting one foot in front of, keep running, keep going, keep going. Now, that's not just a general encouragement to, you know, press on through the difficulties of your life. It's to press on in a particular way. That is, in faith in Christ. Enduring faith, let us continue to live every day, all day, day after day, in the assurance of our place in Christ. What keeps you running? Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Keep focusing on Christ. He is the pioneer, the forebearer, the trailblazer of the whole concept of faith. The whole way of life of faith. You can read about this, especially in the book of John, where Jesus does everything in faith in His Father in heaven. He doesn't do anything operating independently. He doesn't figure it out for Himself. He follows His Father in heaven. He trusts God, and He goes so far as to trust God all the way to the point of dying, a death that satisfies God on our behalf, which was His reason for being here in the first place. So, let us run with endurance and let us see and appreciate the disciplinary hand of God in the hardships of our lives. In other words, God is not letting any of your difficulties go to waste. He has a purpose in it. His purpose is what? To develop in you enduring faith in Christ. You can read about this in the first chapter of James, right? Let consider it all joy when you come into various hardships because you know God is working that to produce in you endurance, endurance in what you might say, endurance in faith is the answer. So God's at work. That's something we can appreciate. Then that makes it... Uh, better, or I'm hesitating to use the word easier, to endure. It is a motivation to endure because you know something good is being produced by whatever the thing is that you have to endure. Now, I'm not, I don't mean just to endure as in survive through it. I mean endure as in endure by trusting in the promise of God in Christ through it. 
That's not exactly the same. And then he says, run together. Look around. Strengthen the weak knees, he says. And he's not talking about, you know, figure out your own weaknesses and see how you can improve. He's talking about taking care of the body of Christ in that context. Make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be put put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all men and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace. In other words, what we want to do here in the church is make sure that the people around us, we want to look around and say, are you getting it about the great privilege you have in knowing Christ? It's not to look around and say, hey, how come you're not running harder? Keep up, you. No. It's, do you see Jesus? Do you see how fantastic it is that you have all the promises of God in him? It's about keeping everyone going, keeping everyone's eyes fixed on Christ. It's not about chastising each other about our little faults. Now, we might find it helpful to help people understand their faults and correct them. That's not a bad thing to do, but it's not the point. The point is, Christ has dealt with every last single one of your faults on the cross. And therefore, you are free to run with endurance the race set before you. Do you see it? And that is what we gather together to do every Sunday, to see that. To see the great goodness of God toward us in Christ. That that transforms your heart. And when your heart is transformed, your life is transformed. And then he says, for you've not come to... I have this backwards again. Someone pointed this out to me. (laughs) Somehow I got these turned around in the bulletin and they're still turned around. You've not come to Sinai, but to Zion. So if you look at your notes, make a little arrow or something to show that that's backwards. You've not come to the place where God lays down the law and shows you what you must do if you are to please him by pleasing him. The point of which is to actually show you that you can't do that. You've not come to Sinai. You've come to Zion, the place where the righteous sacrifice of Christ actually cleanses you 
so that now you have, by God's grace and by the work of Christ, received by faith, which means received by simply receiving it, you have access so that whatever you're dealing with, you can talk to God like he's your dad about it. And receive the embrace of God as your father, not your judge. Because he has emptied out the whole judgment container on the cross of Christ. This is good news. Because apart from it, all you have in relation to God is Sinai. And Sinai is an announcement of judgment upon you. Zion is, announced, is an announcement of grace upon you. And so he says at the end of chapter 12, Therefore, <clears throat> since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Let us show gratitude. The word there literally means, literally translated, it says, let us possess grace. Let us have grace. Let us latch ourselves to grace. Now, this is translated show gratitude because grace and gratitude are wrapped around each other. You don't have anything to be grateful for if you've not received any grace. If what you got you earned, then there's no reason for you to be thankful to anyone but yourself. But what you have from God you did not earn, it was a gift earned by Jesus for you. So let us have grace. Let us reflect grace. We could talk about the communion service, the Eucharist, which means the good grace, which means when we gather in worship, we are called upon to say to God, good grace. Oh, your grace is so good. That's show gratitude. And then we might say, well, how do we do it? He says, by service. And that word service, acceptable service, is literally the word for worship that Paul uses in Romans 12. Let us present our bodies a living sacrifice, a, your reasonable service of worship. Same word. We think of worship as adoration. That's right. How do you adore God? You love His grace. Let us reflect grace. Because we have grace, we extend grace. And so, chapter 13. Philadelphia Maneto, 
That's the literal, I wanted to show off my Greek skills. Philadelphia, Mineto, you've heard of Philadelphia, it's a city in Pennsylvania. It's also the Greek word brotherly love, philos, brother, I mean philos, love, affection, Delphia, brother. Love of brothers, the love of brothers, meneto. That word is a particular form of the Greek word meno. It's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. It's in John chapter 15 where uh, Jesus exhorts the disciples, abide in me. Meno, abide. Stay, continue, remain, stick, live in me. Make the vine, the righteousness, the righteous life of the Lord Jesus Christ, make that vine your home like a branch abides in a vine. You know, you can't tell where the vine ends and the branch begins because they abide. And here the commandment is brotherly love must abide. It's a command. Brotherly love must abide. I've given a bunch of references here where you find this brotherly love thing in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 9, let love, now that's not Philadelphia, that's agape. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love in Philadelphia. Give preference to one another in honor. In other words, there should be a competition in the church, in the people of Christ. There should be a competition of honor and not about getting it, but about giving it. Who's the best? Who, I'm, no, I'm honoring you. No, I'm honoring you. No, you are more worthy than me. This is what Paul's talking about, I think, in Philippians. Is it uh, chapter 2, I think? Esteem one another above yourself. In other words, we could say this the other way around. It's like a humility contest. Who's below who? No, me below you. No, me below you. No, me below you. No, me below you. If we keep at this long enough, we might approach Christ who put himself below us all. That's, that's what we're looking for. That's brotherly love. That's the affection of the body of Christ. That is the prize to understand and share the love of God in Christ. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejo rejoicing in hope, 
persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, <sighs> contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. We're getting crazy now. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in spirit, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Listen, you can't forgive someone if they haven't actually wronged you. How? How? Brotherly love must abide, and this is what we're talking about. This chapter in Romans chapter 12, you can read more about it in 1 Thessalonians or in 1 or 2 Peter. I'd like to look at the passage in 2 Peter. It's a famous text. It starts with faith and it ends in agape. <clears throat> Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So how, how, how? Seeing, seeing that his divine power is granted not has doled out because you earned it. He has granted it to you. To us, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Not most of the stuff you might need pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us to by His own glory and excellence. For by these, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your face, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, Philadelphia. There's only one more step after that. And in your Philadelphia, agape. That's a, that is a big list. That looks hard. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to love people? But then he says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this is how the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ plays out in a person's life. These are the fruit, these things. And then he says, whoever lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten forgotten his purification from his former sins. 
What this says is, if you lack these qualities, it shows that you've lost track of your cleansing from sin. Oh, so the way to have these qualities is in the understanding of God's grace operating in your life. It's not by taking this list and tacking it up on your wall and trying real hard to do all these things. It is the operation of His goodness in your soul. It's to see and not forget your purification from your sins accomplished by Christ, not you. So that God has called you righteous. God who saw how you behaved yesterday. God saw how you behaved yesterday. And upon you, because of the virtuous merit of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for your sin, God says about you, righteous, so that you stand before him in the righteousness of Christ, not your own, his. This is good news. Brotherly love must abide. I've also made a list of things that abide in the book of Hebrews mostly in chapter 7 Jesus and his priesthood the same word meno Jesus his priesthood and his intercession that's this is the text uh, Hebrews 7 uh, 24 or 25 says he ever lives he ever lives to make intercession for us. So the other day when the Lord was spotting your bad behavior, the Lord Jesus was saying, covered, 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 interceding for you. So that your standing and access to the throne of God was not interrupted for one second even when you were acting badly. It's better than we understand. That's something that abides. Jesus and his priesthood, his intercession for us. Here's another thing that abides from chapter 10. The better possession. Uh, he, uh, the writer reminds the Hebrew Christians, he says, you remember when you first came to Christ and you endured this persecution and you endured it joyfully, knowing that you had a better possession and an abiding one. Knowing what God has given you, you endured joyfully the world taking your earthly possessions. When you got home that day and your house had been taken over and you ejected from it, you actually enjoyed that because you know God has a better house for you and an abiding house 
one that can't be taken. In chapter 12, we just read this earlier, here's another thing that lasts, the things that cannot be shaken. This is in verse 27 of chapter 12. <clears throat> the Lord's going to shake things. Here's the thing that cannot be shaken. It's an abiding kingdom. The things of the kingdom that we are receiving, can't, they're abiding. They can't be shaken. They endure. You're probably familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's maybe the, one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible, and you know how it ends. So, abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. There's three abiding things. Faith, hope, love. Especially love. I would encourage you to look at what 1 Corinthians 13 says about the character of love. For example, it doesn't keep records of things done wrong to it. Do you have a record of the things done wrong to you? I do. I could make you a list even right this minute. But as the love of God takes over my soul, I forget my list. I can remember it again tomorrow. But when I'm focused on the greatness of God's grace toward me, I become gracious toward all those people. I was reminded of a proverb that says something like this this week. The proverb says, uh, the, person, uh, the one who covers sins, or faults, I guess is the word, one who covers faults supports love. One who remembers them alienates close friends. If you keep rehearsing faults, <laughs> you will end up divorced from people who are important to you. It's a disruption in the grace, the operation of grace in us to keep records. If you want to keep some records, keep records of the favors people have done for you that you didn't really deserve. It's probably a shorter list. It's easier to keep records. Take that list of things people where people have really, really actually wronged you and burn that sucker. It's not even a bad way to go about it. You write it down and then take a match to it. Leave it to Him. It's all absorbed by the cross of Christ. We show gratitude by enjoying grace. And we enjoy grace by showing it. Philadelphia, Manetto, brotherly love, must endure, must abide, must characterize our relations 
in the body of Christ. Jesus said, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. Philadelphia, Mineto. Then there's another philo word. This one's harder to say. Philoxenia. See, I couldn't say it. Philoxenia. It means the love of strangers, foreigners. <laughs> like our word xenophobia is based on the same word, which means a fear of strangers. Because strangers are fearful, are they not? If you encounter a strange person, here he says, don't neglect the love of strangers, hospitality, they translate it. <clears throat> Our reflection of grace can even be extended to strangers, foreigners people who speak a different language, people who have a different color, people who are this, that, or the other thing different from me. People who have odd habits, people who blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a long list. This is a situation in which we can exhibit the love of Christ. We can exhibit the love of Christ to people we don't know through hospitality. Now, I'm, I'm an introvert. I, you probably can't tell, but that's true. I really don't enjoy meeting new people. I'm comfortable with my current circle of friends, and it's, it's not easy for me to extend love of strangers. That's what we're called to do here. And he says, you know, some people have entertained angels. I think the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of those Old Testament characters, Abraham especially. You know, he was sitting there in his tent with Sarah one day, and these strangers came along. And he invited them in. The Scripture doesn't even pause to notice whether that was a decision he had to make. It just says that's what he did. And those strangers, one of them was the Lord himself and angels with him. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you know, it's even happened. You don't know. You don't know who these people are or what they might bring in the way of blessing even. But you know, not all strangers bring blessings. Some of them are truly weird and will cause you trouble. But don't neglect the love of them either. How are you going to do that? That's a hard problem. Then he says, remember the prisoner and the mistreated. And this reminded me of chapter 10 where he said, he reminded them, he told them to remember when they actually did this. Let's just look at that, chapter 10, verse 32. 
Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings? Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming partners with those who were treated that way. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. What you know makes all the difference. How were they able to do that? Because they knew something. They knew they had a better possession and a lasting one. That's our word abiding, by the way, lasting. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Remember the prisoner, he says. And he says, he describes how to do it, as though you were with them in prison. And when you're remembering people who are mistreated because you are also in the body, there's a consideration here that says if one of us is mistreated, all of us are mistreated. We're all in one body. This reminds me of what Paul said in Romans. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those that weep. We engage in the world together. Actively imagine yourself in their position and look, into their, and look to their needs. The prisoner, the mistreated. Be there for trapped and hurting people. We have a our dear sister Dita right now. She can't be here. It's an example. Who can't be here? We have these three categories, brother, stranger, prisoner. Brothers, everyone in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Brotherly love must abide. Sometimes, some of the brothers are not easy to love. I guess at any given time, every last one of the brothers will not be easy to love at some point or another. We all get obnoxious from time to time. And that is when brotherly love must abide. I, you know, it's no big deal if it's easy. If it's easy, you don't need the commandment. Brotherly love must abide. Consider one another, the writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter 10, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Think carefully how to get somebody to do better. The love, brotherly love must endure. Stranger love, don't neglect it. Who's that? Anyone who shows up here. Anyone who shows up who hasn't been here before is in this category. 
anybody who's different. Anyone you might feel cautious of. Because they're new or different. And what are we called to do? Welcome them in. Welcome them in. Embrace them with the hospitality that comes from the love of God. And the prisoner, this is the brother who stuck out there. So we have the brothers, we have the stranger, who's a different person showing up here, and we have the prisoner, who's a brother, stuck out there. Anyone that's having a hard time in the world? Anyone here having a hard time in the world? Don't forget each other. This is very likely to lead to you having a hard time in the world. When you stand with someone who's having a hard time in the world, some of it's going to get on you. It won't necessarily be easy. So we consider one another, our brotherly love. We welcome people in, love of strangers, and we take care of those mistreated and prisoners, trapped. Reach out. Reach out. That's what you have to do. Must. Where this is, these are commandments. To which I say, but how? And we need to remember something now. Now that we've gotten, you know, three steps into this list of commandments, we need to remember something. We really need to remember this because if you just take these commandments and post them on your wall and do your best against them, they will defeat you every time. Someone of your brothers will be too hard. Some stranger will be too strange. Some prisoner will be too far. These rules will defeat you every time if you just treat them as rules. So we need to remember something very important. Imagine a birthday, child's birthday, 10-year-old kid, and his father buys him a bicycle for his birthday. And the kid says, thanks for the bicycle, Dad, showing gratitude. And then, from that day forward, Bicycles sitting in the garage. Kid never rides it. Would that be weird? What would we say about that kid's gratitude? Or we might say the father missed with this gift. 
doesn't seem like the kid really appreciates the gift. How do we abide in brotherly love, uh, take care of strangers, and remember prisoners and mistreated people? How will we do this? We've got to ride the bike our Father gave us. That's what these things are. Here's what I mean. Showing gratitude, the text says, means having grace. You've been given. You've been given. You've been provisioned. All the goodness you need is yours. Every last thing you need for life and godliness, Peter said has been given to you in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you enjoy the gift? How do you enjoy the gift? First of all, you remember. You remember you are receiving the unshakable kingdom. You cannot be disturbed from it. It is yours. End of story. You have received the forgiveness of God in Christ. You have access to the throne of grace at every minute of every day, no matter what you need to talk about. You are the one who the Lord Jesus says, brother. And the Father says, son, daughter, child of mine, righteous one. Remember, and enjoy the grace. Well, how do you enjoy grace? Just like you enjoy a bicycle. You get on that thing and ride. You see how far grace carries you. You take up grace and show it around. And you are living before the Father going, man, this grace is so good. You should see this grace. You should be amazed by this grace because it is amazing. The Lord himself will have you, not because of you, but because he's made it possible in Christ, and he just gives it away. It's so incredible. And how does this reflect itself? Well, in the little frictions and conflicts we have in the body of Christ, we let it go. We say... Yeah, but Jesus, I mean, come on. This is nothing compared to that. And we extend the grace. We show it to each other. We take care of each other. We give stuff away that does, you know, because we've got everything anyway. We become generous. We become hospitable. So when strange people, when we encounter strange people, whether they're just new to us or they're really strange, we accept them. How can you do that? Because you've been accepted. And trust me, you're stranger than them. So you extend the grace. This, that's all this is. All these are, are examples of because we have grace, we show grace. Because we have grace, I extend the love of Christ to you, my brother and sister. And because we have grace, when someone new shows up, we celebrate their arrival. 
even though we don't know how good it's really actually going to turn out to be. You know, when we celebrate their arrival, we increase the odds that it will be good. But we also take care of the people who can't be here. We take this to them. We remember the prisoner, the mistreated. Suddenly, I'm way out of time. That's how. If you are rooted in grace, if you love grace, then you begin to exhibit grace. It's that simple. These are just the details. And next time, we're going to talk about how marriage is wrapped up in that. Better stop now. Father, thank you. Help us, Lord. It's so easy for us to forget. Lord, we confess our forgetfulness. We ask for the work of the Spirit in us to remind us of these things when the need arises so that we become good reflectors of your goodness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.